Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we reflect upon it this morning, that your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart and mind and soul. 
Amen. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? These are the questions which are asked of every member of the church before they are welcomed into this body through the sacrament of baptism. These are the questions asked of every confirmand when they reach an age to make a commitment for themselves in service of Christ. These are the questions asked of every person who has walked away from the church at some point in their life and return, seeking to live a life of renewed devotion. These questions form the very center of the life of practice to which we commit ourselves as members of the church. Today, Christ the King Sunday, is a day for us to remember these commitments and to promise ourselves once again in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Now when it comes to liturgical celebrations, there's no denying that Christmas and Easter are the most central to, uh, to our understanding of whom we worship. At Christmas, we celebrate a God who loves us so deeply that that same God would take on flesh and blood to live like us, to minister to us, and to love us as one of us. At Easter, we celebrate a God who loves us so deeply that that same God would endure the worst pain and suffering of our flesh and bone in order to minister to us, to love us as only the best of us can be inspired to love, and to triumph over sin and death. But when it comes to liturgical celebrations, today might be the day that actually holds the dearest place in my heart. And today's reading is also one of those passages that is dearest to my heart. There's something very old-fashioned about celebrating Christ the King Sunday because there's something very old-fashioned about declaring our allegiance to a Lord. Especially as Americans, this is not the system to which we are accustomed, and the idea of voluntarily putting ourselves into servitude pushes hard against our secular notions of freedom and individual liberty. But here's the thing. Sometimes we need to be a little more old-fashioned to remember who we are, to whom we belong, and what Christian notions of freedom mean. I'm not ashamed to cling to some of the old-fashioned ideas that are mentioned in this morning's reading, 
the lordship of Jesus Christ, the reality of universal laws and truths, the promises of eternal salvation to those who walk in the way of the Lord, and of eternal damnation to those who rebel against God's commands. Some of my classmates and I were somewhat affectionately called dinosaurs by a seminary professor who watched us argue in favor of universal truth while those that we were arguing against proclaimed their truth. And some ministers will tell you that although the Bible might talk about hell or damnation, no truly loving God would actually follow through on such dreadful consequences. But these are precisely the questions at hand when we reject the forces of evil in favor of service to Jesus Christ. Is there a right and a wrong, or isn't there? Are there consequences for our actions, or aren't there? Does our proclamation to serve the Lord in union with the church actually mean anything? Or are they empty words meant to make us feel good, but demanding nothing of us in return? As you know, I've recently completed the interview process to be ordained, and part of that paperwork is to explain how we understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you part of my answer to that question. I said, what should it mean for us to say that Jesus is Lord? It should carry as much force for us as it did for Martin Luther, who set Europe ablaze with the proclamation, My conscience is to God and no other. This is a costly stance. It forces us to set aside the masters like Mars and Mammon who rule us through fear. It forces us to set aside the tribalism of political party, national identity, and race that create a fictional us versus them. When we take seriously this proclamation, it will set us at odds with people that we don't want to be at odds with. I know from experience that there will be some people who choose to reject the good news of the gospel when they are challenged in this way. Jesus is Lord is the single most important proclamation in response to the gospel and the most hollow phrase in American Christianity. It is a profession that we ask of every member of the body of Christ and for which we demand no accountability. These might be hard words to hear, and they are hard words to have to write as a minister of the gospel. I wish that the situation were different. I wish that Jesus is Lord meant something more in our society than it does. But for too many outside the church, they accurately look at the way that we often behave and they don't see anything different from anyone else in their lives. Too often they look at us and they see celebrity preachers living in mansions while their flocks struggle to make ends meet. Too often they look at us and see people who are afraid of others. 
They see us and see anger and hatred toward people of different skin colors or who speak different languages or come from different places or even who just belong to different political parties. Too often, they watch as their loved ones die of preventable illnesses or treatable diseases or senseless violence while the church has nothing to offer but thoughts and prayers. Too often, they watch as their friends and families struggle with addiction or with life choices made out of desperation and see so-called good Christians more ready to throw the book at their loved ones than to offer mercy and a chance for redemption. Why is the church struggling to stay relevant in America? Why aren't those outside the walls of our sanctuaries eager to set foot inside of our doors? Because we have forgotten who it is we serve and what that means. The future of the church has to be different from our recent past. We have to leave behind feel-good notions about personal salvation and remember the life of hardship and struggle to which we have been called. We've taken the idea of salvation by faith alone to such an extreme that we no longer even ask Christians to act like Christians. I remember in college going to a worship service at one of the more popular, trendy churches on campus, only to hear afterwards the worship leaders planning which, pars, which bars and parties they were going to hit up over the weekend. We have traded freedom from the powers of sin and death for freedom to do whatever is most pleasing to the flesh. We have traded joyful obedience for joyful rebellion and self-indulgence. It's not sufficient to show up for worship, sing our songs pray our prayers, and then go back to normal for the rest of the week. If we have truly experienced the new birth through the Holy Spirit, then a new life ought to follow that. Today's reading is the final public teaching of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. After this, the narrative moves into the Last Supper, the portrayal of Jesus, his death and resurrection. So what is the final teaching that Jesus gives to the crowds before his death? What is the last thing that he leaves them with? Feed the hungry. Give drink to those who thirst. Welcome the stranger. Clothe the naked. Care for the sick and the imprisoned. These are the criteria by which the Son of Man will judge the righteous among the nations. Jesus' final words to the crowd aren't about some vague notion of personal piety. They are clear instructions to love your neighbors, all of your neighbors, not just the respectable ones. Every chance that we have to be in relationship with the poor, the other, the sick, and the imprisoned is a chance for us to be in relationship with Jesus Christ himself. 
Every act that we take to benefit those on the margins of society is a mark of righteousness. Every act that we take that harms them is a mark against us. And there is an uncomfortable truth beyond this. Doing the right thing isn't always going to give us a warm and fuzzy feeling. Sometimes doing what is good and what is best for the collective just leaves us feeling tired because we're planting seeds of goodness that we won't see bear fruit for a long time. Serving Jesus means living in an uncomfortable not yet more than we would like it to. It means living, working, and serving others like we are already in that kingdom of heavenly perfection even while we are still temporarily confined to this world of fallenness. And here's one last thing to know about these teachings. They follow a series of parables about the imminent judgment of this world. Jesus, in other words, warns his listeners, judgment is coming, so don't be caught unaware. And then he tells them that if they want to be ready for that judgment, these are the things that are expected of them, of us. One of the reasons that Christ the King Sunday was placed where it is in the liturgical calendar is to remind us of this truth. Next week marks the beginning of Advent, a season of patience and hope, but also the beginning of a new Christian year. This is the last Sunday of the liturgical year, and what better day for us to be reminded that the end is coming and a judgment will take place. So, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Amen. Please pray with me. King of kings, Lord of lords, name above all names, Free us for joyful obedience. Empower us to cast aside all other allegiances as nothing but chaff to be burned away. Prepare us for your perfect kingdom by making us humble, honest, hard-working servants in this lifetime. Give us eyes to see you and everyone we meet and hands to serve you in everyone that needs some help. Amen. Oh,